Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. The March 11th Cloud 2030 discussion focused on edge and distributed infrastructure, composable edge. We used a whole bunch of terms trying to explain what edge is, how it's evolving, what the challenges are and why it's so difficult. We started because of the OVH fire uh, with some battery tech. And so just to, we're, we're skipping ahead a lot of that, but we do make references to it. So watch for that. Enjoy the conversation. Uh, it's a really good one about edge technology. I, I assume we'd, we'd uh, talk about the fire um, in uh, the OBH. Yeah. I, I haven't seen any real diagnostics on it. I imagine everybody's still digging, digging out from that. I mean, for, you know, first two, first two responses are the right two responses. One is, you know, and, and I think Corey said it, you know, the first one last night, one, everybody's okay. That's all that matters. Nobody got hurt Two, hug ops all around. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Ah. Man, I'm just so glad nobody was in there because right. that looks like it went really fast. So, yeah, uh, safety for, for everybody around. And actually, they've already started getting stuff up again. Interesting. Do, have there been any preliminary reports as to cause? I haven't seen anything yet. So the only the only thing that came out was from the original tweet that and some of the timeline. The original tweet was it started, firefighters were there immediately. And it, there were over a hundred firefighters on site by the time it came down. Uh, you look at that, it, it was at least melting, if not burning metal. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm copying. I'm copying the link over. I, I don't. Um, I don't know what could have started a fire like that unless they had electrical gear on the floor, or had some other combustible item in the data Hardboard. center. Hardboard. Oh, one there. of the guys. One of the Hardboard guys. Paper. The primary arc, possibly the primary um, power in arc tank, thirty thousand kVA or kV rather. So, yeah. um, before the step downs. So you would think you would think that would be in a protected space outside of the data center floor in most cases, but maybe not. Um, I just find oh. uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not normally looking for behind the scenes reason, but I find it really odd that um, two this days before days of an IPO. Two days. Yep. Uh, yeah. Oh, they were going to IPO. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Oh, shit. I had, yeah. yeah, that's that's super suspicious. But I mean, having a could be coincidence. Having a friend who's an electrician working on a bunch of um, of uh, uh, AWS uh, data centers and stuff. Literally, they bring all the power into a, uh, usually a single room or a couple of rooms, and these these cables are ten inches around the power that starts out at, before they step it down. They have 40 step 40 units, power distribution units in a single building. 
in a single room. So uh, if electrical right. happens anywhere in there, uh, even back in the old days of uh, um, mainframes, if a power bar melts down, you're not stopping that puppy. No, I mean, they're, they're, yeah, if, you're, if you, you always want to separate the, um, the power distribution units from the rest of the data center floor. Um, a lot of data centers have made, even some data centers that um, claim, um, you know, uh, the ultimate in availability, put all of their PDUs in one room. And PDUs are known for arc flashing. Hell, arc flashes are so bad, they literally can vaporize a person who's standing in the wrong place. So it's, it's, a, it's a nasty business. And, and um, very thick cement walls and, um, uh, and uh, fire protection uh, are critical to keeping those things on the data center floor. There was, there was some yeah. discussion there that I saw. Oops, Rocky, we're getting a uh, feedback loop from you. No, go ahead. Uh, no, sorry, can you mute when what? you're not? Can you mute when you're not talking because oh, we're getting a feedback? They're right making you. coffee, <laughs> but yes. Ah, okay. The uh, and now I'm jealous. The uh, some of what I saw was one. There was a previous uh, fire for them, and there's uh, some hints about them using containerized re reusing containers for data center elements. Mm. So a lot of the which you know. At some point, I'm going to look for the segue into edge edge conversations for us, but um, pretty sure you, you know, just found it. I might have. Um, <laughs> so you know, if if they were doing containers, then those aren't you know particularly typical um, units. I know at, at, when I was at Dell, one of the things that they worked on for some of the MSPs data centers was stacked. Um, containerized. I think these were all, these were ended up being public disclosure things. Like they would stack, they would put all the power and cooling stuff in the, in the, in the top unit. They would put the, the data center stuff in the, in the, in the bottom container. So pack them full of machines and then they would just take an old factory and then space them out every, you know, hundred feet. Um, I don't, I don't know what the OVH systems look like from that. I don't either, except that this is one of their, um, original data center campuses um, in, in Strasbourg, um, you know, most of their newer data centers are outside of France. Um, and whether or not they would have added um, some new modifications to a data center that was already, you know, five to 10 years old, uh, I couldn't tell you. Uh, I haven't kept up with OVH. They're in the, in the overall market of data center and, and, um, and, and contribution to groups, OVH is pretty quiet. What I what I just heard was Rob just blamed this all on Rob just blamed this all on Kubernetes. Yeah, well, it was Kubernetes. Oh, I heard he blamed it all on <laughs> Dell, but maybe I was hearing I, something else. I was I was going to throw OpenStack under the bus. I haven't seen anybody do that. OVH is a big OpenStack shop. They all, are. They all are. I heard all I, mean, I heard the, was Rob blamed it on containers and Kubernetes. That's I right. Think it's containers. Thing, it's all containers. <laughs> but even even when you talk about containers, let me segue away from this specific situation because. I'm not sure what there what there is to learn from it, but if you look I at just yet, even yeah. containers, your statement about containers, I actually don't agree with that because you have to separate the physical and the logical. You know, containers is a logical aspect, right? Um, if I'm running it on my traditional stack in my data center, I'm containerized, but what if I really gained, right? So I've maybe gained the ability, maybe, um, to move it. 
to other data centers. But the reality is you need the combination of architecture, software technology, and how you're architecting your underlying infrastructure or whatever infrastructure you're using. So I think it's important to understand that those three have to come together. It's not just containers on traditional stacks. And obviously I'm missing something as I'm talking. Nope, nope. I, um, you jumped, you jumped into it architecture stacks and I, I was, my head was still at the physical shipping container level for, for their data center from that. Oh, aspect. so when you're talking containers, you're talking about 40 foot, 45 foot shipping containers, not containerized workloads. Correct. I missed that segue. That was. And, and so the, the segue I had from the edge perspective was like, we keep talking about edge data centers being sh showing up in on the back of trucks and shipping containers being dropped off at the cell towers. And so the, the, the question to me becomes, are we now, or, you know, are we going to enter a phase where we're afraid of, of putting it in non, in non, non, non-traditional footprints? Well, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what the um, perfect answer is for that, except for the, a lot of the companies that I've worked with, in, including just recently uh, through um, Edgevana, mm -hmm. uh, the power distribution stuff is outside of the container. So, you know, um, it's sort of like, uh, uh, you know, saying, you know, here's the here's the car, but then here's a bunch of other stuff that comes with it in order for you to take care of it. So, you, you, yes, you need a, a forty by twenty pad to put the data center on, but then you need space and a cover to put the electrical distribution outside of that container. Yeah, but if you if you start throwing lithium batteries into the base of those racks as a from a, a power, you know, from a, a backup perspective, because distribution is not backup, right? Yeah, no, distribution is not backup. Yeah, right. I mean, a shipping container with enough um, lithium lithium batteries to run a you know data center a containerized data center for any length of time uh that's that's a powerful amount of uh combustion we call it a bomb <laughs> well um and we, i you know i i recognize that we all are worried about the lithium-ion battery and and uh, it gets a bad uh rap in a lot of places but um uh, and maybe deservedly so i don't know all of the exact numbers other than to say that we pick on um the torches that Tesla's become when they catch on fire because of their um, lithium ion battery or as a result of also having lithium ion batteries. But rarely do those stories ever get accompanied by the actual numerical facts associated with that more cars per car that are gasoline catch on fire and burn to the ground than Tesla's do by far. Yeah, but Tesla, I mean, you, you say that and I was gonna bring up Tesla as well, right? That's the ultimate edge case for us right here um when you when we start to talk about power and you know and just distribution of of devices because it does come down to how are you powering all of this stuff right so tesla's on the front tesla's on the front end of it it might not be cloud computing but it's you know it's well, connectivity it's power site in texas yeah yeah and right and and where are they setting up where are they setting up cells um if you if you watch it and i've this is about a year ago, I started to pay attention to this. It's, you know, it's not along route 80 or route 70. They're 
almost creating a new, a, you know, the the outpost for a new superhighway across the across the U.S. So take a look at where the, at where hmm. they're building that. That gets really interesting. As for the lithium-ion batteries, uh, the lithium batteries, I'm a photographer, and I'm not allowed on a plane with my batteries touching or in the hold. Yeah, I was going to say the plane in China actually limits how many batteries you can take on on the plane with how many um, uh, the capacity and whatnot. And they've been doing that for a while. So there are other issues definitely with lithium-ion uh especially when they're put together in a factory that's not very good. <laughs> well, we're, yeah. we're going to see this at scale. I mean, I'm, I've been watching for the last couple of months, a neighbor of mine, literally two houses over, is putting a Tesla roof on. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a fascinating process, but you know they're going to have a power wall. You know they're going to have battery yeah. backup in that house. So now we have not just professionals, but also consumers that are touching these devices. And that's going to have ramifications as well. So I'm going, I think- I'm going long on marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> Better go long on long. It's a, season, it's a season for peeps. You could do roasted peeps. There you go. Uh, no, but, uh, I, actually, you know, it's funny. Um, uh, Tim, um, I'd never thought about the power walls um, too much until you just mentioned it. And I was just thinking, um, I've seen a few garage installs where the power <laughs> wall's in the perfect spot for the car to run into it if somebody were to hit the gas at the wrong time. Oh, That's right. That's absolutely right. I mean, they're usually put in the garage as yeah. opposed to externally. I don't know where this one's going to go. My gut tells me they're probably putting it in the garage because when you have some other reasons, but it's a monstrosity of a house and it's literally taking up the entire footprint of the lot. Mm. So oh. I'm sure there are some limitations as to what they can, what they can do externally outside of that footprint. Right. So they'll probably put it inside, but who knows? Tie it back to tie it back to the, ori- to, to the original stuff <laughs> that we were talking about just with data centers all of a sudden, when you've got those, when you've got those power packs in the garage or on the side of the house, now you've got the makings for distribute more distributed data centers, right? Yeah. And and edge and yeah. edge computing. Well, we're already seeing that with networking today. I mean, most broadband providers will allow your um, what do you call it, your cable modem or your access mm-hmm. point to be a public access point, especially for business connections. Um, you can, by default, it's a public access point for the other customers of said provider. So there's no reason why we couldn't think about how to use that. I think the challenge is that right now, the underlying infrastructure, look at the other side of this for a minute. The underlying infrastructure is really poor to consumers' homes. I mean, how many, just on this call alone. So here's a group of pretty sophisticated folks with pretty sophisticated setups how many of you are actually riding on fiber to your home? I am. I am. Oh, I'm in San Jose. Same no here. freaking okay. way. They don't put it out here. <laughs> but that's the thing. So it's and, over half. Yeah. And the, and it's but it's not common. And think of all the folks in most of the US alone, you know, industrialized nation that don't even have access to high speed 
you know, their high speed is DSL. It's not cable or broadband, let alone fiber. So I, I think that we've got a long ways to go uh, with that. And that's where I think you could take, probably take a page out of, um, out of the book of China, which is, you know, China years ago, and I only know this because it was part of a project I did for my MBA, but um, China, when they were building their infrastructure, they could not get their hands on enough fiber for their, their underlying infrastructure fast enough. They were producing about 10% of the fiber they needed to be able to put in the ground. So 90% was coming from overseas. What they were finding, similar to Europe, was that it was faster to actually put up cell towers and get people connectivity via wireless cellular networks instead of hardwired connections. And so then this kind of goes full circle to, well, what happens if we could deploy 5G broadly, right. you know, and truly cover large spaces with it. I mean, I will say that I think we have not shown that we can, that providers can accurately do that or effectively do that with cellular technology period. But if we theoretically could do that, then does that negate the need to have to, to worry about all the infrastructure costs to lay new fiber in the ground, which is extremely expensive. And we uh, circle back to Tesla, the the satellite. Oh, uh, the microsats. Um, They're getting ninety nine megabits at a minimum. At what down. latency, though? Yeah, they're they're not going to get better than um, than uh, fifteen to twenty millisecond latency to start. So. Yeah, but there's but that little thing yeah. called speed of light that gets in the way. Yeah, but, but but hold on, because I think that there's and 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 this is so part of the edge conversation that I was hoping we would sort of get to was, it's it's friggin' hard. Edge is going to be really hard. Um, right? There's there's a whole bunch of breathless articles, and I'm guilty of of writing them too, of how big it's going to be and how great it's going to be. Yeah, I know, Tim, you're totally off the hook. Got it. Only looking at Mark. Um, the, the, but it, which I think is, is arguably a real statement, but we also know it's going to be, I mean, cloud was hard and cloud is like, a, you know, much more homogenous. So that my, was, my, still is hard. Cloud is, is still hard. That's right. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, I mean, I'm yeah. looking at what Corey did from a, a billing perspective and it's, you know, it's, it's hard for any, you know, it's just crazy. Um, and so the, 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 the interesting thing is all of the interconnected stuff that has to work to make edge go. Um, and, you know, I think we, we keep looking for the easy button. It's been, you know, last 10 years of my life has been telling people get, you know, get over it. There isn't an easy button, make, make the, you know, make stuff better. Don't, don't try and make it easy. Um, but you know, it's, it's worth talking about the things that need to come together. The reason why I interjected at this point is because it might be possible to say, you know, we can't get fiber to, uh, to these 5g cell sites, but we could hook them to the satellites in the meantime and, and start taking down the, all of the things that have to get done just right to make, make a cell, you know, 5g cell site ubiquitous and, and then fix it after the fact, we typically don't build like that. Um, and that's been one of my problems with edge in general. It's like, 
you, if you wait to build the perfect edge site, you're never going to build it. And if you start with what you've got, which I know Mark and I've talked about a bit, you're, the current way people approach technology doesn't, isn't friendly to heterogeneous infrastructures. Right. And, and so that, we're, we're, I feel like we're, we're, we're in this, you know, in this, you know, uh, stranglehold. Rob, when you say heterogeneous infrastructures, you've got something in mind. Where where does where's the where's the gray or fuzzy line between heterogeneous and homogeneous for you? Um, it it Unix versus VMS versus IBM. <laughs> no, I you know it's it's interesting because this is um, it's it's really homogeneous infrastructures are really really hard to achieve. Um, no, it's and doesn't it doesn't really exist. So. They don't exist. So right. where, that yeah. was why that was my question. What, where where do you kind of, where do you create the from your point of view? Where's where's the, where do you I hit the touch? I think you have to make a delineation anytime you get outside of the people that run more than a million servers, because any of those companies that are running more than a million servers are as close to homogenous at least at scale within their environments as possible. So in other words, at a Google or a Microsoft, they may not be homogenous across their entire fleet, but they have entire data centers with 50,000 servers that are largely homogenous. Um, and, um, and, and that's, that's you know, to Rob's so point, that's gonna I be guess, incredibly I hard to question, well, the I, Maybe I misunderstood the question. The question was, or the point was, you know, cloud is hard, Cloud is hard for whom? The CSP or, uh, or the, yes. the consumer? Oh, yes. The MSP? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. Cloud is, hard. Cloud is hard. I mean, cloud. That's the. I think this is part of the problem: is that it's it's forcing us to think very differently for all of the different stakeholders. It's forcing us to think very differently about on one side, how we use and architect technology, but on the other, the relationships that we have and how we interact between that vendor customer um, relationship. And so, you know, whereas typically you give something to someone and let them learn about it and become an expert in it with cloud, that isn't necessarily the case. And so I think the combination of those two is a dramatic change in how we just how we do technology. But doesn't that come down to the discussion about what's it for in the sense of the value created, the value captured and the value delivered? It is, but it's, you're, you're right. It is, but it's how we get there. But you're not going to be, I can't imagine how you could ever have homogeneity with disparate, operating companies in different geographies where even the basic connectivity is always going to be different, different. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the point that Rob and I, you know, Rob is referring to and that I'm um, associating myself with Rob on because I've, I've had to um, do global deployments before and I've had to do them in five or six different countries and um, trying to keep those on something even similar is hard enough when it's not your professional job to do that. Imagine trying to do smaller quantities in, in 10X the locations. So imagine people that only own 
30 or 40 servers, but they have them in 2000 locations in the US, the ability to maintain any kind of consistent upgrade cycle with the same hardware is almost impossible. I mean, you know, my experience building hardware for companies was that um, before the days of, of, of everybody um, having advanced virtualization platforms, and I'm saying that because we were using some virtualization, but we didn't have things like a true vSphere yet, et cetera. Um, and you were building servers one at a time. It was a bitch just to get freaking seven servers on two two orders from Dell, all the same freaking drivers, NIC cards, and memory modules. Yep. You can't. It, it's same. not. It doesn't work. Yeah. If it wasn't the same, you couldn't use the install, same install script. Right. I, and to go ahead, Larry. Larry. Lauren, we lost. We lost your sound. Looks no. like you're off no. mute on Zoom, well, but maybe something. Okay, so maybe, yeah. Okay. <laughs> he's he's going to, we're going to go gonna on. Keep going. That's <laughs> going to go on. I mean, <laughs> Joan, did you want to, or Rocky, go ahead. Well, uh, actually, uh, back to Mark. I think Mark was still going. Oh, so I, I was going to make a point about Nitro and SmartNix and Right. This is a hard problem, even for the MSPs and the MSPs literally put, you know, SmartNICs into their systems. Amazon and Microsoft definitely did this. I have no idea about Google, but where they abstracted the differences between their systems using these SmartNIC as, as the, as the shim layer. And so they solved it by adding actually really expensive hardware and software in to create homogeneity in their systems because even they at their scale couldn't guarantee it, right? The NICs, like the, the, they had to solve this problem. Um, and now we're seeing the rest of the industry copying it for similar reasons. Um, when, but when I look at smart NICs, the, the complexity of those infrastructures is, you know, significantly more than just dropping uh, traditional servers into edge sites. Right. I mean, I, the, the number of things we're going to have to solve to make, you know, distributed infrastructure with, with minimal management in remote sites work is going to be incredibly hard. And it's going to be ARM, it's going to be Intel, it's going to be Linux version this and Linux version that, and, you know, this networking topology and that networking topology. It's, it's, it's going to be but, really, really hard. But Rob, excuse me for interrupting, but no, that's no different than, than what was happening 20 years ago. I mean, I worked for very large enterprises, right? 30, yeah. 40 sites worldwide. And the infrastructure was never going to be homoge homogeneity oriented yeah. simply because of the fact that the last mile could never be the same. So when you're talking about smart NICs, from my perspective, and not meaning to date myself, but there were smart NICs a long time ago. You just had to custom configure them and order them from the likes of the Intel's of the world uh -huh. or the Cisco's of the world or whatever. So I don't, I see those things commoditizing very, very quickly to satisfy the needs of large industrials and manufacturers more than any other, particularly in automotive and its ancillary and adjacent industries, because those are the companies that have still the 20, 30, 40 operating locations around the world, and they still have that problem to solve. And they're gonna have it, whether it's 3G, 4G, 5G, or even 6G. And until they go to a full RAN deployment, regardless of whether it's low or high or medium or wide, 
they're still going to have those issues and they're still going to have to be fixed. So you're talking about 10 to 15 years where that's going to be an issue. And I don't think that you can solve it with homogeneity, but I don't think that it's going to have the impact on edge that perhaps you're thinking that it will. Because so, I think there's different ways of skinning the cat. Yeah, yeah I, I'm not. I'm not saying Edge is bottled up until we get SmartNix. Actually, just the opposite. My my point no, is no. even if SmartNix can fix it, it's the, the heterogeneity is going to. Well, here's another problem. It's the telcos. Uh, back when I was doing. Is that always the answer. Well, no. That well, that that's the problem. Either that or DNS. It always is the problem. But the problem is, is essentially the telcos are providing smart NICs through the mobile connectivity. Back in 2004, when I was doing mobile compute, uh, if the telco didn't set up your mobile modem correctly, you couldn't, you couldn't communicate or you couldn't communicate effectively. And convincing them that they didn't do it right you know, they're, they're the telephone company. Of course they do it right. So you would get a setting off or something and suddenly your mobile compute would go offline. And unless you could convince them via them digging into random logs somewhere that it was their fault, your connectivity was hosed. So that's a smart Nick that if misconfigured, screws over everything on the edge. <laughs> well, think about the think about the problem of 5G and smart Exactly. The scale it's, that you have to deal with. That just I mean and people think about think about ACL. Think about access control right. when you've got I don't know hundreds of thousands of 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 endpoints that have to be managed to each 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 rack basically each each in in data center switch from 5G. I'm sorry, that's just going to blow blow the doors off of everything. Oh. It's going to blow the tires off. So, folks, um, and maybe uh, I apologize. I'm I'm. It's probably just me, but um, I think we all recognize that homogeneity is not likely to occur at the edge. Um, and we're not going to wait for it because if the opportunity right, is right. even a quarter of what Mark thinks it is, the opportunity is too big to let something like that slow it down. So if, if any of that is true, then what is the answer? Is the answer, um, you know, to me, the, it, it's, it's like anything. If you feel like um, there's enough gold in Alaska, <clears throat> then and Alaska's far away and you're like, well, it's going to take me months to get there then you, you figure it out, you build an airplane and you get there, right? It's, it's just, that's, that's the way innovation works. So we have constraints that we all understand. The constraints are distribution, the constraints are access and operations support, the, the constraints are uniformity of, um, of equipment, the constraints are developer access to the market um, and, and developer consistency for delivering of applications. Those are all real constraints for edge constraints that I worry about every day. But when it comes to yeah. the hardware and, and Rob, I think, you know, you and I have had discussions about this going back for years uh, about the potential abstraction of the edge 
so that the edge just becomes a deployment abstraction rather than something that is defined around a hardware set. And the abstraction layer allows for policy based on workload demand to choose everything from specific latency location to available CPU based on pricing, based on ability to do localized analytics, whatever it is, as opposed yeah. to um, there ended up being 10 years from now, so, 20 different companies or right. worst case scenario, only five that we all have to figure out how to deploy to independent of each other. So where do, you, where, do you, where, do you, where do you place and what does that abstraction layer consist of, Mark? Yeah, to me, the abstraction layer consists of more, of, uh, realistically, more private networks, meaning more networks that are outside of the operators. Um, it's, it's more ability to apply um, abstraction layer on um, heterogeneous hardware through through platforms like Mutable or, or Node Weaver or um, uh, Taubite. Um, it's the ability to create the equivalent of um, marketplaces of services rather than individual solutions that attempt to solve uh, for every person. Um, so you know, right, right now, if you think about Amazon as a delivery platform, Google or Microsoft, they are in effect a, 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 a marketplace for cloud-oriented services. Um, yes, you've jumped, you've jumped, you've jumped a, a, a step there. If we're talking yeah. about edge, yeah, and but, and you're looking, and we're talking about the the abstraction there. Yep. Let's. Just, I mean, and I think you're right. There, there are a couple. You know, the logical outcome is probably some sort of handful, whatever. One handful, two, I don't know, three, um, kind of well, well, well accepted abstraction layers, and it may be you don't get a lot of choice. If you go into a Class A building today, and you're a you're a tenant in a Class A building, and they've made a decision about the network infrastructure for the building and that's offered up to the tenants. Um, how far does that service go up the, the food chain? Do they just give you, you know, a, um, you know, a place to plug in and then you've got to get everything, everything else, you know, provisioned accordingly, or do they, in some cases do everything, but, you know, kind of, walk you to the door and they basically say here's the vpn it gets you out into the um a, a what effectively is a private network tell us where you want to go do you want do you want to go straight to the uh the exchange points fine you want to go straight to amazon without going onto the public internet fine bam that's the kind of services, that's, those are the kind of the network oriented services that are being put in place and used by, you know, a lot of the big real estate companies that are selling class A real, or leasing class A real estate today. So where, you know, are, are we moving toward the, 
the moral equivalent of serverless networking, the way the way uh, mm. uh, serverless applications are 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 running. Heck, those Class A buildings might be pro providing a, uh, an edge cloud for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. With your phone system and all and, the rest, and it has to be it has to be selectable and done in a way where you know hit the check boxes and tomorrow after you move in to the uh, you know to you know to the floor it's there for you it you right. know, plug whatever it is in theoretically yeah. I theoretically mean, I think you're right but that's that's more than theoretic I mean, I mean what what I've been seeing is it. it's it's still a lot of real estate and facilities folks that are driving it there's there's not well, enough IT engagement in that I I wasn't I wasn't saying that it wasn't those that in fact they are making some decisions for you if you want if you want to move into a building the question is do I have any choice in the matter other than to use the network infrastructure that you that you've already laid in for me yeah so I'm I'm not disagreeing with you mm -hmm. Tim I'm basically saying these things are already very much in place and those are you know those are those those ships have left the uh, left the dock. The, those trains have left the station already. I would I would suggest to you, Rich, that you're on point because I remember when I first started, and I was working for IBM. There was this thing called Avantis, and the network was a well-provisioned VPN, and it's making a comeback. And I'm hearing Brand rumors new. about it all I've over got, the place. I, I've got you, you've just made scars by <laughs> mentioning advances <laughs> but yes you're right it is coming back well you wild. know i mean it it seems to me that we're going full circle because the company the the hyperscaler that jumps into that market space with the VPN and the provisioning and the security and the firewalls and set and the edge. And basically it becomes what I would call a new phrase, composable edge yeah. is <laughs> the one that wins. I, I completely agree. And, and, and there, are a couple your... of there are a couple of companies that are kind of well on their way to doing exactly what you've just said. Okay. Yeah, so... And they're not telco. No, they're not. Thankfully. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing exactly. it. In, I'm seeing it with some of the folks that I talk to in the SD WAN space, right? Yeah. And I mean that is everything that you just described, is, and they're starting to add AI into it as well uh, on on the back end. Uh, it's that layer that you know right in between the telcos, and it's all about it's. I mean, it's all about that. You should get. We should bring. Um, I don't know if he's available, but we should bring uh, Joel Mulkey from Big Leaf on to one of these calls. To talk about where, where that's going because this is i think it, it is it's the cool. this is this is the this is the tough stuff so yeah, i think we've identified one of the edge formats and i think automotive is another format where standardization is coming in it's very different from this it focused uh localized it focused edge so we've got too, with automotive and uh, real estate edge formats, which and, is and fascinating. When you, say, when you say automotive, are you thinking the fact that it's mobile? Yeah, 
the the automotive uh, edge uh, mesh kind of communications yeah. across anywhere. Yeah. 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 You're, you're talking about creating platforms where, um, it's you, depending on the provider, it's V to V or, or V to X, um, yeah. in this kind of vehicle to vehicle, vehicle to cloud vehicle to any number of things, but then you tap into that platform, um, for other purposes, whether it's ADAS or, um, other features around what some are calling the digital cockpit. Um, so there, exactly. there are a lot of different I'm facets sorry, to it. it. The digital what? Yeah. The digital cockpit. Yeah. So just imagine some of the newer cars today. Yeah. They don't have gauges. They just have a display. Yeah. Cockpit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And some of that information is coming via that platform from other data sources, either traffic information, even other vehicles. Yeah. So other vehicles ahead are feeding that information to your vehicle, yeah. and then you as and the there, driver are being able to are, benefit from in, it. There are in in road and side, by the side of the road, um, both monitoring and delivery as, as well. So yeah, it's yes. a, it's but a, then you it's a But mix. then you get into the challenges around the different platforms themselves and whether it's the tier one with the, in automotive, there's this concept of tier one providers, tier two, three, four that are the OEMs that provide these platforms to the car manufacturers. So these are the Bosch's, the Scotia's, the Volkswagen's. Volkswagen's actually an, uh, a tier one provider that provides to other, other platform or other automotive providers. And then within those platforms, you might have like a Qualcomm that comes in and provides components to it. But the thing is, each of these platforms can have a default set or they can plug in other components. So for example, how driver policy fits in or how um, you're bringing in certain external data components into the mix. And so there's a lot of kind of horse trading that goes on as part of this process. Yeah, it's a different situation when we're talking about um, moving a, a, an organization into a class A piece of real estate, it, but it's there, there are similar similarities you don't have the same kind of malleability and changeability that that's required for right the, for the in auto and also you've got uh more consolidation the notion that you have a you know a local mini data center or a piece of local mm. uh processing in the building on the floor uh that you're working on there are also the issues of what happens when the tenant in that building is a company that in fact itself is a, you know, a, 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 a on-demand workspace. So it has, to, it has to basically provision and make sure that everybody's safe and, and not, uh, there, there's, there's the issue of crosstalk and and kind of security issues that are that are going to happen inside a you know a WeWork or a, a Regis or places yeah. like that. So it it get it has its own complexities. It's nowhere near as complex as the as the mobile, but it's still pretty damn complex. And I think Joanne was 
was on to the point where she was saying there are kind of these two big big classes of of edge uh, i hate we don't have a good word for it it's not exactly a platform it's not just a network it's a it's a something it, but it's that it's that uh layer of abstraction that you were just talking about well it's in, in from my frame of reference rich it's part of the digital thread so a digital thread basically is is that ubiquitous thing that connects all the systems in a company to all its suppliers and its customers and whatever. It's a way to bridge from an internal and external part of your ecosystem. And within that, it's the foundation from which digital twins are created. It's a thread. So it involves every layer of the OSI and a few that haven't been you know, actually prescribed as yet. <laughs> there, 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 are a few, there are a few colors in there in that spectrum that we haven't yet been able to distinguish. We are, we don't have fine eyesight to see them, but yes, you're, you're, I get your point. Yeah, but from a color perspective, they're mostly blue. Um, <laughs> it's all blue. That's but the other point that I wanted to make is this notion of composable edge actually gives the leeway to bridge between the V to X and V to anywhere world, as well as mobility and as well as cloud and edge. And that's part of the reason that I've sort of worked this concept oh. around because ultimately it's all gonna be connected. There's already trickle down between the industrial IoT and the consumer IoT. That's gonna be adding a huge amount of complexity cost and data transfer uh, because now your consumer is a stakeholder in your digital transformation. And from that perspective, you're going to need last mile could be last foot or so, centimeter. Last so, for, right. yeah. so composable for you means location composable or site composable is that no it means services composable okay you're composing your just like you have multi-cloud and hybrid cloud and whatever you're sure. configuring services on multiple hyperscalers so in my view a composable hmm. edge is a framework wherein you would group classes of services together and then choose from them to richest point about the checklist and compose right. how your whole uh, sort of infrastructure would be created where it's edge and cloud and serverless or IAC or any of the other multitude of offerings. And you would kind of put those together like Lego in a way. And that's your future infrastructure and, and as a platform or service. And even to that point, there'll be some kind of usual kind of standard packages for those right. that don't have a lot of in-house uh, expertise, clear, don't have the same kind of understanding of what it is they need that is is at variance with it. So there'll be a, you know, walk in, turn it on, and you've got access to AWS if that's what you need. You've got whatever it is that you need for your in-house or in-office uh, Wi-Fi done, you know, flip the switch. If you need the, if you need the customization or the, or the bespoke aspects, 
yeah, you can open the open the box and and tweak it and tune it. But that's that what is what I think is going to get offered. And from my perspective, again, I see it through the lens of my experience. And Telcos did that with mobile to an extent where they had different yeah. different stacks uh, on their their data uh, data modems. Uh, the mobile data modems, the mobile voice modems, and various combinations thereof. So there is, in some ways, a history for doing something along these lines in the telco space. The, the, the challenge that I have with this is that it's Amazon is not a monolith, mm -hmm. right? If just because I say, hey, I want to run a service from Amazon from this site, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's, you know, late, the latent, you know, that it's, it's not like Amazon is parked right next to that site. The, the service that you're trying to consume could be three AZs away. It could be on another continent. Um, right. Well, not if Amazon has their way. I mean, they're, <laughs> they, they're kind of pushing some of those services out to the edge you know, whether you see the the local zones that are specific to certain verticals, like what's happening here in LA or um, Wavelength, where they're pushing services out to the edge. And I would, frankly, I'd expect to see more of this happening, right? There, there could be a whole industry popping up of folks that say, okay, we're going to do outposts as a service. We'll provide this footprint at the edge for a specific Oof. vertical or specific use case, and maybe that maybe that use case is in a building, for example. Yeah, brokers, brokers. Right. That, well, it that could be a the B two B negotiation that provide the package service to the end user and negotiate with the uh, solid provider that sits there and says, we're doing it for this cost and we're getting these particular aspects of it. Right. I mean, Rocky, think of the, um, think of what has happened now for years with colo providers, Yep. right? Where they have pulled, essentially pulled in Amazon, Microsoft, Google. So you can have direct connection to those services right out of the colo, right out of that footprint in the colo. Imagine if that got extended further out to the edge. So it's not at the colo, but it could be at the base of the cell tower. If you're talking about mobile infrastructure, it could be within the basement of a commercial building. If you're talking about that scenario, it could exactly. be at a port. If you're talking about a large uh, major port. I mean, this is one of the reasons why ports quite often don't use cloud services today because there aren't data centers near the port itself. I mean, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, issues there, yeah. challenges there, but these are, I think you, you can expect to see more of these kinds of services getting pushed to the edge. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think that, I think there's a, um, a, a possibility for seeing virtually all of the answers at the edge at some point. Um, That's what I'd hope. I have yeah. a, um, a, a problem, generally speaking, when talking about this stuff with thinking about more um, what the long-term, in my opinion, best way to utilize what will become a limited resource in the future, because we have no choice if we're, if we're going to grow the edge the way some people, including myself, are prognosticating. Um, we have no, no alternative 
but to find improved ways to use everything from power to network to CPU to space. We have no alternative. Just the same way that Google had no alternative but to go to containers, um, that, that server manufacturers had no alternative but to go to blades inside of other chassis. Um, uh, the, uh, no alternative, just like we moved to, to serverless. Um, we have no alternative but to use infrastructure at the edge um, in, in a way that, that would make Google proud. Um, and that's you know three to four X the usability of traditional enterprise and about one and a half X the utilization of uh, infrastructure in an Amazon or Microsoft data center, at least to the last of my understanding. So 70 to 80% utilization at the edge. And that's because we're just gonna be building and, and using so much that we don't have any choice but to solve for that kind of efficiency. But peeling, peeling those layers of usability back, it's you know, between now and two or three years from now, what's, what's in my opinion, again, just me, what's likely to be most obvious? Well, to me, what's most obvious is that there will be 17 different deployment models that are across between service provider deployment models and deployment models supportive of a specific technology. Right. So you could you could think of um, the WASM approach of of Cloudflare as deployment models based on a specific technology, whereas you could look at EdgeX and say deployment models based on hardware, um, the you know base hardware availability in a simple cloud. And you could think about um, uh, Mutable or um, Taubyte as deployment models based on developer usability of available hardware in a given place. All of them, all of them solve potentially for an edge problem, but they solve in a different way. Um, and I think that the, because of the nature of how edge is likely to be populated <coughs> with workloads, that most of the workloads will be pinpricks in a lot of places rather than giant um, uh, waves crashing over the beach uh, across the, 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 the country or the world. Um, that those that provide the lowest barrier to entry and the lowest cost of operations at the edge um, are the ones that are likely to win. Outpost, Google, and Microsoft don't do that today. And they do not offer independence, which almost every person that I talk to about who's actually building edge solutions for their business is asking for. They need independence at the edge. They cannot be dependent on a network back to a cloud provider. So huh. me, these are all, you know, and again, I, I, I could be wrong on all of these, but that's my assessment of what I've been seeing, including a 10 o'clock this morning, 10 o'clock this morning, UK time meeting that I had with CBRE. Guys, I this is Sarvjeet. Uh, I've been listening on, on and off. Uh, <laughs> I'm busy doing some of this stuff. Uh, how I see cloud is, uh, um, sorry, edge is like, it, it, it's a miniaturized uh, data centers, right? That's how I see it. And then mm -hmm. if you go with that sort of frame and then you work backwards and, and th think about what data centers need right now, they need the redundancy of power, they need the redundancy of networking and, and they have heterogeneous sort of boxes inside a data center, just think that's miniaturized. It, it can come in different sizes. It can be 10 by 20 feet containers. 
or the boxes. It can be even smaller. It can be a briefcase size thing, you know. But that's that's at the, at the end of the day, that's what it is. You need the connectivity, and there is some storage at the edge as well, some caching. But we need the mechanisms to manage it as a smaller data center. I mean, if you, and then we can't confuse, get confused between edge devices and edge computing. So those are, I, I see those are two different things. So, yes. so Sarbjeet, I think, I think um, uh, you know, and you and I, you know, lovely debate, uh, lovingly debate this issue on an ongoing basis. Um, but the, to me, the problem, the very problem that I was pointing out with the edge um, deployments of the large cloud providers speaks to the strategy you were just suggesting. And that is that they're attempting to stretch existing assumptions of what infrastructure has to be and what a data center has to be out over the edge. And that's just not the case, that there are ways to solve these problems at the edge, not only not even all the way down at the real estate level that don't include building the equivalent of a very small Google or Microsoft or uh, Equinix data center in every location. And there it is, um, right? The, com the combination of what you and you and Sarjit just said. Yeah. What is the the edge of what? Yeah. Well, that, 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 <laughs> and every, yeah. to me, to me, yeah. That's that's very. That, that's the. I think that is the question. That is the question. Yeah. Edge of what? Edge of a big metro area? Edge of a building in a remote area? What? What? What are we talking about? I think. Well, is it? Is it? Let me finish. I have an answer. Yes. Okay, there's there's economics involved here, right? So edge will edge is getting overtaken in the big metro areas by the big cloud providers. You see it every day in announcements, right? And that's where the money is. That's where the population is. That's where the devices are, right? But the what i it's just data. It's data center light. Yes, so that's, that's not edge. That's just expect adding more locations. And that's creating problems that have nothing at all to do with what we're actually talking about, which is what's where it gets fascinating. More locations is not what people are ready for. It's the reality they're going to face, but it's not what they have. Joanne, you hadn't answered uh, edge. Is trading of edge is the edge of a edge trading is ecosystem. the edge of your trading ecosystem. That means the farthest point a consumer to the enterprise and every step in between. Your suppliers, your trading partners, your customers, your customers' customers, depending on the industry. That is the edge. It's 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 the distinction between who's got it's not location, it's not hardware. It's it's responsibility for decisions, it's responsibility in in terms of uh, Obligation for service. It's wherever you know, kind Correct. of management control changes. It's the farthest point to which you create, deliver, or capture value. I I, I like your your breakdown, Joanne. Although I still have a hard time finding ways to argue with my own assessment that edge is actually an economic decision. It's where a solution will provide a differentiated um, experience for a consumer or a function. 
in right. uh, whether it's mechanical or human, and uh, it can and it, and it enjoys an ROI and, uh, and a positive ROI as a result. That to me is edge. So and and Mark, the only the only point of difference between your view and mine is that I put it in terms of value because I can create an IRR. I can create an economic value or value add, and I can measure it with a key performance indicator like time to decision, time to value, uh, production value, any of the metrics that are standard to manufacturing actually fit with edge beautifully. Yeah. And I've done all the math. I don't think, yeah, I don't think those are incompatible, Mark. I think I agree, actually. Yeah. What you've described is a, a particular pathway through the through the value, the value chain that, that right. Joanne is, is right. building out. Yeah, no, I agree, actually. Uh, great, great points from both of you. Thank you. Thanks, folks. I gotta I gotta run. Yeah, yeah me too. We're, we're Thank you. As always, a stepping stone in a conversation, not the end of it. That's so, right. It's a journey. It's a journey. Thank you all. Wow, what a great conversation about Edge uh, and the challenges of Edge. And I keep feeling like we still don't define Edge very well and why it's important. You know, is it economic? Is it technical? How are we going to build it? Who is going to build it? Uh, and we're going to keep having these conversations. That's what the Cloud 2030 is about. So please join us. Uh, come in, be part. We want to hear your voice and opinions too. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.